there are so many roadblocks and so many people who will suggest to you to not do it that it's going to turn out to be negative what if they don't want you what if you're rejected no that's a personal decision you have to make for yourself at that point to decide are you mature enough to handle whatever you're looking for i mean i was completely aware that hey maybe they hate me maybe they don't want to see me at all that wasn't the point of me going i wanted to know where i'm from Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to hear from John. He called me from Southern California. John learned he was adopted as a kid, but he didn't do anything with the information for four decades while he lived a dream, playing the game of basketball as a collegiate star, professional player, and international coach. On his search, he found the man who transacted his adoption, heard stories of another man like himself who had trekked deep into Mexico to find his roots, and finally reached the inner calm that comes with knowing where he is actually from and who his people are. This is John's journey. John grew up in Tucson, Arizona, as the second child adopted into their family. Their mother couldn't have children of her own. John and his sister were adopted from Chihuahua, Mexico, an eight-and-a-half-hour drive from Tucson today. But back in 1965, the car ride and the roads weren't nearly as comfortable as they are here today. So it was a long trek on unpaved roads for their parents to adopt John. So I was born in, in Nuevo Casas Grandes, which is a, a very small town in Chihuahua, Mexico. And that's, that's all I kind of knew. You know, I had the birth certificate that said that. And for a, again, as you stated, a number of years before I finally realized or was told that I was adopted. I think I was around 10 years old when my mom decided to sit me down and tell me that. And you know, you have no idea what that means because no one in my neighborhood was adopted. I didn't even know what the name really meant. And I, re- I recall vividly walking out after after I was advised and told and and given that, that information <laughs> to, to tell one of my friends, you know, hey, I'm adopted. And looked at me, huh, that's, you know, like had no idea what he was talking about either. You know, he's like looking at me and like, well, what's all right (laughs) we kind of moved on all right can we go play now (laughs) where i did notice the difference was with the respective teachers and you know one teacher if you said that you were adopted may have taken pity on you you know felt sorry whereas another would be like oh that's remarkable you know you have two loving parents who went above and beyond and that's when i started to notice like other people's perception of it was it was it positive or negative in their in their view. Yeah, that's really interesting. Take me back for a little bit. Tell me more about your family. So you're of Mexican heritage. What are your parents and your adopted sister? What are their nationalities? So my father was Anglo-Saxon, you know, so he had his his family had been immigrated from from France and they came through Ellis Island and relocated in in the state of of Ohio. And then he moved over into Arizona due to asthma, having issues in the in the Midwest. And 
met my mother who was of Mexican-American descent who was living there in Tucson. So they, they meet each other and, and get married and live there. And then it's discovered that my mom can't have children. So I believe the story is that they, they knew someone who, who was going to have a, a baby, a young lady, and she was there in Tucson, but she had come from that part of Mexico. And uh, so they knew her and they were able to build a relationship with her and, and take in my sister upon birth. And so as it came to me, it was my mother's employer. She had conversations with this gentleman named uh, Hal Jones, who had a photography company and, and had, had come to the knowledge that he himself well, had, was Mormon and had lived in one of the colonies there in Nuevo Casas Grandes. Now, I had no idea there were colonies that were existed or I didn't know any of that stuff. And so upon my quest of going back and searching that was a name that I recalled, uh, Hal Jones. So she, she went and communicated with Hal, and Hal said, "I'll reach back into Casas Grandes, where, where, and there are going to be, you know, maybe there's going to be a child that would be given up." And sure enough, the Mormons uh, helped in that regard. So, quite, quite the storyline. I. This was all brand new to me, you know, upon upon my discovery. Yeah, I can imagine. Before we get to sort of your search and discovery, tell me a little bit about how you and your family got along. So your mother is of Mexican descent as well. So it sounds like you looked alike. So you probably didn't have the immediate trigger of why don't I look like my parents? How did you guys look and how did you guys get along personality wise? Well, you know, there's the there's the fair complexion, you know of of my father and and even my mother was fair complected but due to the sun and being outside all the time you know they they became darker and 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 my skin color is dark and so yeah you're right there wasn't that distinct difference between race and nationality simply there was only because of my last name that's a that's a french surname and and i'm Mexican type of neighborhood, you know, it's just, you know, everyone kind of had a little, didn't understand that name, you know, but that's, that's from my father's side. Um, but no, we didn't, we didn't look different. We didn't, you know, we just, my mother spoke Spanish at home to try to help us understand and, and be appreciative of the language, but by no means did she force us to speak it. They both just wanted us truly to have the best education possible so we could change our, our future. I think every parent wishes that their children surpass what they had. And my mom and dad both had sixth, sixth grade education and an eighth grade education. And so the emphasis that they placed on both of us were to go to a private, a private Catholic school in elementary and then the same in high school so that we would have a, a, heads, a, a little bit of an edge maybe perhaps in the education or at least an emphasis that education mattered so we could change the trajectory of our life. John and his family got along well together. He and his sister were brought into their family at very young ages, and because they resembled their mother, who was of Mexican heritage and resembled the kids, 
John did not suspect his adoption before he was told at the age of 10 years old. John said he doesn't think he would have noticed he and his sister were adopted and the fact that their family was formed through adoption could have gone unnoticed for years. I was curious to know why John's mom decided to tell him he was adopted. Every parent wants the best for their children. And I, I think she wanted me to know morally, spiritually, any way that you can identify it, that there was nothing that was ever hidden. She consistently would tell me that I wasn't born of her, but I was a part of her. And and always to feel that I was loved and supported consistently from her and and that they went through what they did. I know that I that they they believe that there's double there's two coins here. There's a there's one side that could see it as why was I given up? What happened? You know, am I not wanted? I think every adopted kid goes through that phase or or still does, you know, still always wondering what happened. And I don't think she ever wanted me to think that, that I wasn't not wanted. So being forthright at an early age, but I don't know what age is really appropriate even to, to, to start. I think that's, that's dependent upon each child and then just monitoring how they, how they deal and handle it. So once I was told, hey, I, I, again, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what it meant. And she told me what it meant, but didn't mean that much to me until a little bit later. John admits he was taller than most people of his Mexican heritage when he was a kid. He said he was given every opportunity to try sports from football to baseball and basketball, but he was not a quitter. Once he tried a sport, he stayed in it. He said, not quitting was a life lesson that stayed with him and allowed him to find his passion for the game of basketball. It's a game he could practice easily by himself to hone his skills, and a game he didn't need very many people to play, and John got pretty good. John was fortunate to have coaches who cared about him, inspired him to get better at basketball, so John kept getting better with blinders on with his passion to play. Basketball became a part of John. In eighth grade, John's team unexpectedly won the Catholic Youth League. He started attending basketball camps away from Tucson to continue growing. John's mother, who was focused on the best education for her children, put John in a private Catholic high school. Even though he was a minority among Anglo-Saxons in the school, John said he felt comfortable and wanted in the school community. Fortunately, his high school was also dominating in basketball. In John's senior year of high school, his basketball coach was demanding of John to push himself. To anyone looking in from the outside, it looked like the coach was just yelling at John. But he knew his coach was pushing him to be his best on the court. His coach didn't want John to just be okay. He wanted John to believe in his ability, and that belief stuck with John. Searching for a college back then, a player had to get lucky to get recruited. Fortunately, he was academically solid and athletically gifted enough to get recruited to go to school. So in that case, when I get to college, I'm with a totally different set of coaches there. They want me to shoot more. They are needing me to, to accept a different way of, of a role. And so my college career really blossoms because it's, it's a changed culture now. They need me to take more shots. They need me to do a whole lot more than I did in high school. 
And, and so as a junior in college, I end up leading the United States in scoring. And it's a, it's a remarkable achievement, but one that I didn't do it by myself. I can, I can assure you that I can't take the ball out of bounds. You know, I, I can't do all those things. I had to have absolute teammates and I was very cognizant of the fact that that publicity that was coming towards me by no means was, was it just because I could put the ball in the basket. You know, I had to have people set screens and somebody pass me the ball. You know, there was a lot of roles that needed to be played. Let me just pause on that for a quick second. That's a really great introspective acknowledgement, right? I am one of five people on the basketball court. And that's how we are in life. You are one of multiple people on any given team. And when you shine, it's because either others have propped you up to be in a position to shine or you have sort of excelled to the point where you're capable of shining and others are supportive of that in other ways. Like it just doesn't happen alone. The coaching staff set you up to be a scorer because they told you, I want you to shoot more. There's a lot that goes into an individual success. And I love that you said that your collegiate scoring title wasn't just an individual achievement. It was the culmination of an entire body of a team, coaching staff and teammates that put you in a position to be the person who puts the ball in the basket the most. That's a really admirable thing. And I encourage people to think about that when you're showing success in your life, I always acknowledge the other people around you that are pushing you forward or have stepped out of the way so that you can have this moment and then help to lift them up too, as, as it sounds like you do as a coach. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened. I never lost sight of the fact that that, that happened. It, it propelled me because again, there are, there is nothing else but street and Smith magazine and other publications. There's no social media. There was the beginning stages of ESPN. And uh, so I'm fortunate that I get the, that publicity through ESPN and, and others that, that there's this guy that's leading the country in scoring. <laughs> and it, it shines a light. It gives me some credibility. And it opens a new door. I get to play professional basketball as a result of that. I get invited to to different things that normally were reserved for those that went to UCLA or something. And so I, I seized the opportunity again. Here's this, here's this kid from the South side of Tucson and who's adopted nonetheless, Mm -hmm. (laughs) who, who is achieving some, some things now in hindsight, maybe it's, there's that adopted mind that, that says, you know, that they're achieving because they were adopted. You know, I, I don't know the theory behind all that, but I always had something to prove and I, I take chances and I want to, to excel at things. And so I took the chance and got an opportunity to play professional basketball. And, and then my life just, you know, took off from there. That, at that point, all throughout my whole, my whole existence, my, my mother had always had my birth mother's name. And, and I think even phone number or location. And on the day that I was leaving to go play professional basketball, she decides to come into my room and tell me, here is this name. And she's crying and she wants to give me this piece of paper in case I want to go and find her. And that it's a conscious decision that I make at that point. There is no way I'm going to break this lady's heart. Second of all, I have no idea 
who this other person is. I've never known them. I got no inclination whatsoever to go find them. And so I, I don't. But there's curiosity. For sure, it's peaked. It had peaked from time to time to wonder, like, who gave me up? Why, why did they give me up? Wonder if they know whatever happened to me. But that's just being naive and having an ego at an early age to wonder like those things because, you know, to be honest, it could have been someone's shame, someone's secret, or the monumental act of giving up someone to have a better life. My goodness, you know, as we're both, you know, as a parent, I, I, I couldn't imagine that doing that for the betterment of the child. Mm. So, but is it naivete though? If you're thinking about yourself and your existence in this life like it's it wasn't an accident like you didn't just fall out of the sky and you're here on the planet you know you were conceived someone carried you and then the decision was made to place you and i think it's hard not to think that someone must have wondered where did that baby go and how are they doing i don't i think that's a very very natural curiosity i don't feel like it's yeah really well, I guess I, I'm, I'm not using the right words. It's probably you're you're 100% correct in that. It, I am sure they did, but maybe naive in my behalf to say like, I wonder why someone hasn't outreached and found me. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't anybody come see me? Here I am getting letters from other people in the United States because I led the country in scoring. Well, why, why isn't somebody telling me, you know, I'm I'm your brother or or you know I'm your dad, but that's so such different worlds at that time and heck even today that would be very difficult for someone in at at that small town to how would they be able to do that (laughs) john was the leading scorer in the ncaa during the 1985-86 basketball season averaging 31 points a game he was destined for professional basketball and he had been given information about his birth mother One year during John's professional career, after an intense travel schedule, his team arrived in the middle of the night in a place called Chihuahua, Mexico. John was inspired to get up early the next morning and search for his birth parents. When he arrived at his hotel room, he asked himself, What am I going to do? I don't even know the name. Where am I going to go? (laughs) That's some being naive as well by thinking, there's only one place called Chihuahua and it was, it's an enormous state. And I was so naive at that time to think like, yeah, Hey, I'm going to go look for somebody look where. And I, at that point where I was confounded at the door going, my goodness, man, I have no idea even where to begin. And so I had hopes that evening that someone would be in the audience at the, and, and, and see me. <laughs> You know, again, just what am I thinking? I have no idea, but I'm that's that's a hope that I had had that someone was going to say, "Hey, I'm I'm so and so." Didn't happen, and I never returned back to that city again. Over the years, John's curiosity would peak, then disappear. He started a family and had kids, and his curiosity about his birth family would return, then fade away. When John turned fifty, he decided to take a DNA test. He was fascinated by the results he received, like pieces of his cultural history and the likely areas his parents were from. The results made John very curious about his birth family, and he questioned what he had to lose by trying to find them. But his adoptive mother had passed away. The information she had was gone with her, 
so John didn't have a name or a photo of whom he was searching for. He tried to recall everything that he could from his childhood, and that's when he remembered the name, Hal Jones, the man who facilitated John's adoption from Chihuahua, Mexico. Luckily, Hal was still alive, so John went to meet him in Tucson, Arizona, where Hal recalled everything from his conversation with John's birth mother. Hal pulled out photos of himself with John's birth family and gave John the whole story. And ultimately tells me you have to go to, to really understand. You have to go and because he doesn't have the information that I'm looking for. He's just like, you just, you just have to go and see for yourself. So I do. At the time, I'm scouting for a professional basketball team, and I'm in Tucson, Arizona, watching some, some high, highly ranked recruit, and I tell my wife, I'm going to go to Nuevo Costa Grandes. I'm going to drive over there from here. I'm going to follow the same route my parents did. And she's like, but you, know, you don't know anybody. I, I never know anybody. I will make friends. Trust me, I will make a lot of friends. So I reach out on Facebook to to a bunch of people there, and this one gentleman responds back to me. He's an attorney, but he's also a basketball coach, and he wants to meet me. And boy, he ends up being almost like the mayor of the town. He knows everybody, <laughs> everyone, everyone, and he's fascinated by this. And I tell him I only got a couple days, and. We go to the hospital where it's quite possible I was born because it's the only one there. Which doctors? And we're just going laying the land. We're talking to people who, who delivered babies to get the story, the background of what it possibly could have been. Talking to the elders in town so they can jog their memory that possibly maybe, you know, 50 years ago, there's this kid that's given up for adoption. Well, we end up discovering that there's a bunch of kids that were given up for adoption. It was a it was a frequent thing, which now is kind of giving some fear to some people in town because the records aren't that wonderful, you know, and, and rightfully so. It's 1965. There's it would today maybe be considered a little bit like child trafficking because there's no information really that's attached. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't hold that. I just simply want to find out where I came from. Is it possible? I mean, I know it's going to be a long shot, but I leave that first time understanding that, hey, I got an idea of the land where I came, where I came from. The people in town all loved the fact that I'm looking and they're willing to help. And there's a possibility that, there were a couple doctors. They have since passed on, but maybe I can speak to their children and get their information. It was just a <clears throat> consistent roadblocks. But my expectation was I only want to find out, man, at the very worst, this is where I'm from. John's quest continued. He took more DNA tests and sought the help of search angels. John returned to Chihuahua to continue his search, doing a local radio interview to announce his search for his birth mother to the community. He hoped that the young woman or her family who knew they had given up a child 50 years prior were listening. A senator from Chihuahua decided he wanted to meet with John to hear all about his story. The senator spent five hours talking with John and taking him door to door in town, introducing him to families, asking everyone if they might recognize him. John said he felt like he was in a zoo being stared at by strangers. The people were kind of taken aback by this knock at the door with a stranger's inquiry, and they were suspicious of what John really wanted. And I keep telling him, I'm like, 
what lady do you think is going to say this? If she has a whole new life, where's this going to come from? Mm-hmm. You know, it's Great not going to happen, Great man. Point. It was like, this is someone's secret, perhaps. And then I started thinking maybe it's a conspiracy because maybe I think people are afraid because I'm, I'm a basketball coach from America who just happened to come back 50 years later. You know, it's a little, it's a little hard for people to swallow. Mm-hmm. So with the Senator, we meet one of the doctor's sons and he confirms he's a doctor himself that it's very possible that his own father delivered me because there's only two or three in the town. It's very possible, highly possible actually in his own words. And, but he doesn't have proof of it, but he describes everything. And, and so he proceeds to tell me, Damon, that there's this story he's going to tell me of a, of, of a guy who 30 years prior comes from United States, doesn't speak any Spanish and has a small picture of his mother and wants to, wants to find her. He was given up for adoption and he goes door to door and spends three, four weeks doing this. And I was like, Oh my goodness, man. Did he find her? You know? And he's like, yes, he did. You gotta be kidding me, man. Now here I am with all this DNA and, and this is this one guy 30 years prior is going door to door. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that, you know. And so I leave a little distraught. When he returned home, John's search angel told him it was worth taking another DNA test. It had been years since the first round of tests. And as more people populate DNA databases with their samples, there are many more chances for familial connections. When John's latest round of results were returned, he had two new matches with women identified as his nieces, children of his birth parents' siblings. It was spectacular news. John sent the women messages, and they both called him back. Each woman agreed John needed to speak with their father. A few weeks later, the women's father called John to talk, and he claimed he was John's brother. He's extremely certain of this. And I'm like, okay, you know, I did speak to your daughters. They both said for me to talk to you. You know, the DNA said they're my nieces, so it's quite possible that you're my brother, but tell me why you think this. He said, well, 30 years ago, I crossed the border. I didn't speak any Spanish. I went door to door, and all I had was a picture. And I was like, you're the guy? Oh, my gosh. You're the guy that, 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 that this doctor was talking about? And he said, the doctor's name? And I was like, Okay, okay, okay. It's getting good. You know, wow. it's like, so I says, what happened? He goes, well, I found our mother. And after I found our mother, I asked, do I have any brothers and sisters? And she said, well, yes, you have a sister that was given up for adoption. But she's over here in the next county kind of thing. She's not so far away. And you have a brother and sister here locally with me. And you have one brother that was born... May 6, 1965, and I believe he was in Las Vegas, Phoenix, or Tucson. And he, he said all that. And I'm, I'm flabbergasted yeah. now. I have no words, really. Oh you know? I'm like, holy cow. So I said, you know, I, I am going to reproduce this, you know, give this a DNA exam and so on and to, to make sure. And, and sure enough, I mean, he is my half-brother. 
And so I, I end up going back to Mexico to meet them all. And it's like an Oprah Winfrey show, man. I mean, everybody's out. I'm going to meet them and it's, they're afraid to meet me because they think I'm going to reject them. And I'm like, well, I'm here for this. You know, I'm, I'm the one searching for you guys. And after all the conversations, you know, the, the nieces, the nephews, all these people were speaking, they would all say that, you know, my mother used to always say, don't forget, you have an uncle. We just don't know where he's at. And I was like, God, this is amazing. They had the guilt of almost like survivor guilt that I was given up for adoption, that I was given away. And I was of the, I'm the beneficiary of being given away. You know, I, I, I had a great life given an opportunity that was different. I don't know if it would have been the same had I remained. And so my mother and father, once I went looking for them, they were passed on already. But my mother's sister was still alive, barely. And so I met her and she she proceeded to say that her father that was very strict and that, uh, that, that at that time, another child on the farm wouldn't have wouldn't have survived kind of thing. And and that I was essentially that I was she forced her hand to give me up for adoption. Hmm. And okay because. You're probably 100% correct. I would have, would have passed on, you know, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. I right. met my father's side and my father's side was a nephew that was there. And I mean, he produces a picture and I look just like the grandfather, you know, it's like, this is stunning. <laughs> and so I, I carefully asked these questions because according to DNA, my, my birth father side should have come from Madrid, Spain. And sure enough, he says they came from Madrid, Spain. Here he produces pictures. I mean, it's like shocking, you know? Mm-hmm. So I meet them all. And uh, and to this day, I mean, I'm, I'm in contact with all of them. And, and I wrote a book, you know, because of the persistence. You know, I'm, we always talk about a needle in a haystack. I mean, I went to another country with no name and no photo and how am i going to locate a birth a birth parent much less you know dna exams only work if people take them Mm -hmm. so when i met my nieces i asked them i was like how did how did this dna exam come about they said it was a prank that their mother-in-law didn't think (laughs) that they looked like their father because they were so light complected and their father was darker skin that as a joke for Christmas, they gave them DNA exams and they're, they're the only two that took the test. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? I said, if you didn't take the test, I'd still be looking. I wouldn't know how to even find them. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy. Those, those, moments that you recognize were the turning point in your search that that are absolutely fascinating. I think many of us have had them that if not for this, then I would not have gotten that. And it opens yes. up the entire, literally the entire like case, the entire investigation, the entire search is broken by this one sort of left turn that one person took 
and now all of the the dominoes fall into place in terms of making connective like realizations. It's really, really remarkable. That's all. That's unbelievable. Yeah, but you know, you and your guests would always probably concur. There are so many roadblocks, and so many people who will suggest to you to not do it mm-hmm. that it's going to turn out to be negative. What if they don't want you? What if you're rejective? You know, that's a personal decision you have to make for yourself at that point to decide, are you mature enough to handle whatever you're looking for? I mean, I was completely aware that, hey, maybe they hate me. Maybe they don't want to see me at all. Right. That wasn't the point of me going. I wanted to know where I'm from. Yes. Yeah. Really <laughs> powerful. That's that's that. And now I understand the the lay of the land and the people and and you identify differently. I had a calmness that came over me. Now I have nothing but but love and admiration for my my adopted parents who who raised me, who took care of me, who did everything they could. That didn't preclude me from wanting to know who my who gave birth to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I'm not I'm not by any means switching out families. Not no chance. I mean, I know my last name is what I what it is now and still will be i'm not changing it i just have a different awareness of where i came from and uh, a little bit of a family tree can you describe you said that you reached a calmness what would you have described yourself as during the search and then and tell me more about this calmness that you reached you know i just don't know i didn't know where who i am you know who who are you I could never, I could never answer all that concretely. I could say with certainty about who my adopted parents were, but as, as it got a little bit more involved, you know, what's your family history, heart attack, et cetera. I don't have that information. I don't know. And it was always that I don't know kind of thing. And I was always wondering I, I got a general idea where I'm from, but I don't know it for a fact. And so I was always very, very secure in my life, knowing that I have accomplished the many things. But a sense of, I guess, the better language would be like having an anchor and knowing exactly where I came from. Mm-hmm. That peace and calmness came over me because I finally had an idea. I could trace back where I came from. You know, I think, Damon, there are many families out there that already know all that. They they can't identify with the fact that they they know all their family history. They know where they came from. They're already grounded in that in that. But as adopted kids, I think there's many of us that always wonder not only where we came from, but why why were we given up? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting too. As you were speaking, I was thinking of everywhere I go, where I travel, and I go to an interesting place. I stick a pin on the map so that I can remember it. And when I you know, was in downtown LA the other day. I just I stuck a pin on the place that we went out that evening because I want to remember where it was. And, and yeah. it creates a history. I can point back in time and say, I was there once. And as an right. adoptee, if you were to open Google Maps and someone said you were from, you know, Mexico and it's, and if you didn't know the town, for example, it you could have been anywhere and not, you would have looked at the map and never been able to pinpoint somewhere like what is it nuevo casas right? yeah no i would have never right and no. so that inability to just point to a place let alone know the story of what your family is what they do where they've come from are they 
yes. rural farmers or is dad a banker in the city? You know, like what is the right. anchor of the history that sort of made your family who they are? And I think people really do underestimate how valuable it is to have hard facts about your life. They think that just because you've grown up and you're an adult and that you're successful in whatever endeavors you've, you know, gone through that you're fine. But there is, you know, I've heard it said before, this chapter one about your life that you don't know and people underestimate the value of having read chapter one, knowing those facts about mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and everybody else in the family that kind of helps you to point at yourself and say, I am of those people, those people who are from this town, who do these kinds of jobs, who have this kind of personality. It's very unsettling to not know sort of what your origin story is. And John, I mean, it's incredible that you went back to this small town and found these folks. It's just unbelievable. Wow. Without doing that, Damon, you know, there's a sense of just going around things like there's a powerful, the power of the memory. And we can, we can certainly, as you mentioned, you can jot down your experiences of vacations with no problem, you know, and the short lived, but the trajectory of where your family came from, what struggles did they incur? Where, where did they, you know, there's, there's a fascinating show called 1883. I mean, there's the struggle of somebody going, you know, doing the Oregon trail. It set the tone for the future families, but you, but you had to find out where they came from first to have a better appreciation of where you are now. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe, you know, like not only for my own children to understand, like, look, my wife's side, they know exactly every, where everybody's from. But on mine, I didn't have that information. And now I do. And I can tell them with certainty and have this pathway of, who they were as people. Now, I think it's independently associated to each each individual as an adoptee to take what they believe is true to them. Why were they given up for adoption? I know why I was. I have no harbor, no ill will. I was the beneficiary of that transaction. Mm-hmm. What I chose to make out of my life, it's a direct result of who they were too. If it wasn't for their chance meeting, would I be here? No. So I don't I don't see why people harbor those those types of feelings like that. Yeah, but it's everybody's independent. Yeah, it's true. Every and, and this is, you know, when we started talking at the beginning, I was saying that I wanted to help this platform share the diversity of stories that are out there. And it you know, you and I benefit from some very positive adoption experiences. Yes, And there's an array of experiences that vary greatly from what you and I have been through. And Very they're true. not always positive, right? There are, I sort of loosely say, there are positive adoptions and negative adoptions and positive reunions and negative reunions. And so yes. at each one of the, and that's a super oversimplification of the description of, a, of an adoption experience. But I, I use that for mostly the lay public so that they can get a quick feel for what the adoption experience could be. And there's nuance in there. There's negative experiences with adoptive siblings, but positive experiences with reunified siblings and all kinds, you know, there's nuance in it. And so I think that's part of how we end up with an adoption community that has such a 
diverse set of feelings about adoption. Some people, which is why it's fascinating. Yeah, some people love it, and some people absolutely despise it, and wish the whole institution would go away. And it's because of their personal experiences and their their beliefs too that sort of lead them to think, you know, this this was not for me. But you know, you have acknowledged that you were incredibly lucky as a beneficiary of this. You were told, it sounded like, that you perhaps would have failed to thrive on this farm in this small town in Mexico, and now you've been transplanted to a family in the Midwest who has placed you in great schools, given you a basketball and every attempt at every sport, and you have, you know, excelled to the highest heights of, you know, being a leading scorer in the NCAA. Like, that's not happening from a small town in the middle of rural Mexico. So no. there's a lot to be said for, you know, the positivity of the opportunity that you're given. And I, I love that you, you acknowledge that. Yeah. I'm again, I'm grateful because I, I think this is a, a remarkable, unique community. It is so unique in the fact that it has such diverse opinions about it, but nevertheless, we're all in that same category. We were all given up for adoption. Yeah. I just know that I was given a, a better opportunity. Yeah. And to others that don't understand it, I always say, imagine you have your own child. Could you give it up for adoption? And the magnitude of that decision, it is you always want the best for your child. It wasn't that, at least that's how I choose to view it. That decision is if I had to do that, wow, I mean, I would never stop thinking about it. Yeah. I would be very curious. I would love, love to have talked to my parents about it because that, that I can't imagine how a day would go by that wouldn't think about that decision. Both of John's birth parents had passed away before he found his biological family. Through his siblings, John learned that down in rural Mexico, the living was tough. The family had to pump for water, work hard for food, and clean and manage the property. John's father was a rodeo rider in Mexico, but he died at an early age when a horse landed on him, tragically crushing him. John learned that his family may be of Apache Indian descent and may possibly be part of the Geronimo family. He said it's not far-fetched because when you go to that area of Nuevo Casas Grandes, Mexico, there are artifacts and stories about the Apache all over the place. Of all places, Spaniards were migrating to that part of Mexico around the same time his parents met. I was curious about how John shared his adoption reunion journey with his adoptive family. He said his adoptive sister was not supportive of his search, fearing John might find a whole new family who had not raised him and had not lived with him his whole life as she had. John said he can see her point of view, but he respectfully told her he was doing this for himself and it was not for her to decide. John's adoptive cousin, his dad's nephew, was supportive. He knew John was adopted, and anyone looking could see that John was the darkest person in the family photos. John's cousin wanted to learn more as John gathered information. My wife was just like, you know, it's a long shot. You know, that's that was her thing. You know, it's like it's and my sons. Well, I don't know how they could factor in how to think about it. To be honest, you know, it's a, it's even for them. It's like they know I'm adopted, but now it's a whole different thing when your dad's going to go look. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, it's funny, John. I'm, <laughs> I couldn't help thinking, as you said, your wife said that your search was a long shot. 
that the basketball player in you could have thought to yourself, I've had a lot of long shots and made a lot of them in my life, right? That the basketball analogy of having been on the court at a tremendous distance from the hoop and you're going to make the shot, like take the shot. That's really, that's really interesting. Absolutely it, Damon. I mean, that's, if you look at my career, you would say, this guy led the country in scoring. He's not six foot eight. He doesn't jump out the gym. You know, he does not. This is the guy. Yeah, this is him. That's amazing. You know, that's why I was like, you know, the impossible. Hey, it's a needle in a haystack story. That's right. That's Uh, right. And I hear too, you know, a lot of heart in what you've achieved, both on the court and in your journey. Like that there it's transferable skills. The, notion that you could, you know, come from your community in a small high school that was not likely to win this championship and it just puts you on this trajectory of success. Like it's probably yeah. built a lot of heart in you to know that almost anything is possible. And so this sure. journey for adoption reunion was probably just one more of those things where like anything's possible and it, it may be a long shot, but I'm going for it. And as I got older in life, I mean I understood what motivated me. It wasn't encouragement. It was people telling me that I couldn't do something Mm -hmm. and, you know, proving them wrong. In this particular case, hey, it's not that I couldn't do it. I'm just going to just keep going. I mean, what do I gain from it? Everything. What do I lose? Nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean. You don't do it. You're right (laughs) where you started from. You know, you didn't lose anything. John, thank you so much for being here with me, man. This This was really cool. I was wrapped by this notion of you going to this small town in Mexico and to know that you found the guy who had made your same journey 30 years prior yeah. and he was your brother. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Really Un- cool. Unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, man, I mean, you know, Damon, for you and your listeners and anybody, I'm, I'm an open book, so I'd love to talk to any and, and all people. It's, hey, you know, it doesn't have to be about adoption. It could just be about anything. Excellent. So, Love it, love it, love it. Thank you, John, for being here, man. And thanks for your openness and sharing your journey. I appreciate it so much. My pleasure. All right, buddy. Take care. All the best to you. Thanks, bud. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, bud. Hey, it's me. John said he might never have known he was adopted if his mother hadn't shared the news when he was 10 years old. Fortunately, he had a loving family where education was the priority and his basketball prowess drove him to be the leading scorer in the NCAA. After his professional basketball career was over and his family was growing, John was encouraged by the man who facilitated his adoption to drive into Chihuahua, Mexico to search for his birth family. But DNA testing linked John to his previously unknown brother who had made the same journey 30 years prior. And that connection helped him find his siblings who had always been told they had another relative in America. John's basketball career has taken him around the world, but he says finally knowing where he is actually from brought him calmness. And that's what most of us want, to know where on the map we are from and who are the people that we are related to there. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in John's journey that inspired you validates your feelings about wanting to search or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn who am i really and if you haven't done so already please take a moment to check out my adoption and reunion journey in my memoir also called who am i really also called who am i really available on amazon kindle and audible i hope you'll add my story to your reading list